Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors. To out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. It is September 4th, 2020, and you're listening to episode 16. Today, we speak with Chris Fredrickson, co-founder and distiller at Traverse City Whiskey Company. But first, stay tuned for this week's Whiskey Chronicles. Hey, did you know it's National Bourbon Heritage Month? Well, it is. Hi, I'm Carrie. I'm Philip. I'm Louise. I'm the chef. One way you can celebrate Bourbon Heritage Month is by helping us finish the pilot episode of Whiskey, A Chef's Journey. That's right, the project that started this very podcast. The series stars our very own chef, Louise Leonard, winner of Emmy-winning The Taste on ABC. And explores and connects the worlds of whiskey and food, city by city, country by country. For more information, including behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and incentives. And to make a pledge, visit our website, whiskeyachefsjourney.com. Or search for our campaign, Whiskey A Chef's Journey, at seedandspark.com now. Well, I think it's a cheers to that. (laughs) Let's. Cheers. Cheers. In this issue of Whiskey Chronicles, we visit recent history going back to August 2, 2007, when a bill sponsored by Republican Senator Jim Bunning of Kentucky was unanimously passed in the Senate. This bill declared September as National Bourbon Heritage Month and encourages anyone who appreciates bourbon and wants to celebrate it to enjoy it responsibly and in moderation. This bill did two things. It solidified the creation, culture, and craft of the bourbon industry and reinforced the 1964 Act of Congress that declared bourbon America's native spirit. The state of Kentucky is the birthplace of bourbon and is home to 14 signature distilleries, 13 craft distilleries, and 44 hospitality venues that pride themselves on offering bourbon-centric dishes and cocktails. The city of Bardstown, Kentucky, trademarked the title Bourbon Capital of the World and has been home to bourbon distilleries since 1776. With a history awash in bourbon, Bardstown is a fitting epicenter for the celebration of National Bourbon Heritage Month. Indeed, the city has hosted the Kentucky Bourbon Festival every September since 1991. The week-long festival annually produces more than 30 events showcasing the history, heritage, and craft of distilling bourbon. This year, however, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the festival has been pushed to October and is going virtual. Even though Kentucky produces 95% of all bourbon whiskey and is home to the bourbon capital of the world, bourbon can be made anywhere in the USA. Craft distilleries all over the country are making bourbon, and more and more of them are using locally farmed ingredients, which in turn imparts a more regional character to its whiskeys. This is true of Traverse City Whiskey Company in Michigan. While Bardstown calls itself the bourbon capital of the world, Traverse City, a center for cherry production, is recognized as the cherry capital of the world. Therefore, it is no surprise that Traverse City Whiskey Company incorporates local cherries into two of their several distinctive bourbon expressions. For links to more information on the National Bourbon Heritage Bill, the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, and ways to celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month responsibly, visit our website for today's show notes. Up next, we talk to Chris Fredrickson of Traverse City Whiskey Company about their bourbon and cherry products. Stay with us.
Today on Spirits of Whiskey, our guest is Mr. Chris Fredrickson, founder and distiller at Traverse City Whiskey Company in Traverse City, Michigan, the cherry capital of the world. Welcome to the show, Chris. Yes, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. We're very excited to have you. So let's talk about your whiskey journey and tell us how you grew up and how you decided to become a whiskey man. And then, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about your great grandfather, because it sounds like he may have something to do with this? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So again, my name is Chris Fredrickson. Um, I was born and raised up here in Traverse City or Traverse City, Northern Michigan. Um, a, a lot of times people will use their hand as a map to show where they're from. We are in the pinky of Michigan and right on Lake Michigan. On the lower, on the um, lower peninsula. On the lower peninsula. Yep. So I was I was born and raised up here in Traverse City. My my family has always been into cherry farming. Uh, I I grew up kind of doing everything on the orchard, from tractors to harvester to shaker. What's a shaker? A mover and a shaker. <laughs> <laughs> the shaker is the piece of equipment that physically shakes the tree. Okay. Uh, it's it's how all the fruit falls off and is harvested. Okay. Very good. So I, I quickly realized after probably a decade of forced manual labor that <laughs> it's not what I wanted to do for a living. And I went off to school. I met some fellas who are my current business partners. Uh, we we all lived together. Uh, I just lived in the same city for a few years after college, working in professional careers. And we all kind of, as a group, acknowledged that we wanted something more. 2011, my father and I found a set of my great-grandfather's distilling patents out at our cherry farm. And I shared these patents with my current business partners over several whiskeys. And we birthed this idea called Traverse City Whiskey. And that's where the journey started. Did he ever distill? Was he making cherry brandy? What, what was the idea there? <laughs> or was he even in Michigan? He was here in Michigan. He lived in a, a town called Saginaw. He, worked, he was a chemical engineer for Dow Chemical. And he distilled in his free time, the, the patents that he had patented were for distilling techniques for work uh, at the chemical company. Mm. So they were distilling techniques and they're long outdated. You know, you can track the, the life cycle of a patent to see where it's been and whose hands it's been. In. And it, it, these patents have been passed around to many breweries and distilleries, but are now just very, the techniques are very out of date. But what these, what these patents represented was more of just a, a springboard for the idea that became our company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so he inspired the enterprise. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, so we, we toyed this idea in 2011. We sold our first bottle of whiskey on July 7th of 2012. And we've been growing ever since. Wonderful. That is awesome. Now, you, yeah. you went to Michigan State, is that correct? I did. Okay. Yes, all three of us did, actually. Oh, uh, you, you and, yep. you and your, your two partners. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Jared and Moti, correct? Yep. Yep. So they were they were going through law school at the time. I was in the business school at Michigan State. Uh -huh. And again, this is, you know, four years before we started Traverse City Whiskey. But just that, you know, it's it's funny, they everybody jokes that you, you'll use college for the for the network uh -huh. and less about, you know, the the formal education. And that just so happens to be the case in this situation as well. Right. Uh -huh. Tell us about the brand. What how did you birth Traverse City Whiskey Company. We started the company right before or right as whiskey was becoming a more mainstream spirit. So right in 2011, 2012, vodka was becoming less cool. Whiskey was something that we had always enjoyed a lot. And it was my opportunity to 
buy some fancy bottles and send samples across the world to a specific group of friends. That's kind of where the enthusiasm for the product started. In 2012, after finding these patents, we had connected with, through a friend of a friend, to get our hands on some four-year-old MGP bourbon. Mm-hmm. And 20 barrels, we cash flowed everything ourselves. It was kind of like the life-saving scenario. Mm-hmm. And within a few months, we had sold through almost all of the barrels. Wow. And the sales were just very unusual for a startup at that time. We had a, another opportunity to buy another lot of 40 barrels. And then that was the time that we kind of just said, this is we're going to do this all or nothing. And those 40 barrels started to pick up steam. And by the end of 2013, we had quit our full-time jobs and pursued this dream full-time. So that was, that was where we started. Um, we started with a four-year-old MGP bourbon, and then that evolved into a portfolio of nine different whiskeys. Okay. Well, you, you studied uh, business administration in school, and then you worked as a yes. management consultant. How and when did you pick up distilling skills? So it back in the day, Michigan State had a, it was a distilling workshop. It was actually a, a class that you could either sign up for, or there was a kind of the after school special, which was an incubator program for companies like ours. A, a very special after school special. I want to go to the after school special. <laughs> Yeah, a real lifetime movie. So Dr. Chris Berglund at Michigan State helped distilleries like ours learn the trade, learn how to distill, learn how to use all the equipment. And so by the mid-2014, we have a 400-gallon Cote, which is a German steel manufacturer. It's a 400-gallon pot column combo still, still in use at our distillery. And my 96-year-old grandmother, Daphne, has always said, Anything worth doing is worth paying somebody else to do. <laughs> that, that is a principle that we've leveraged along the way. You know, the, the one thing you can't do is guess in this game. You can't hope right. that what you make today in, you know, three or four years is going to be good enough to sell. Mm-hmm. So we've always leaned on either consultants or just asked folks that know better in the industry, uh, like Greg Snyder, who you had on your show recently, mm-hmm. ask everybody for help. And, and if we ever have questions, we, we try to take the guesswork out of it. So everything is intentional and calculated. Okay. All right. So how big is your facility? Well, we have three facilities. Oh, wow. Yeah. We have our still house and tasting room downtown Traverse City, which is about 2,000 square feet. And okay. you know, the one lesson that we've learned along the way through amongst all of our facilities is that barrels take up an enormous amount of room. <laughs> they do. They yes. sure do. You don't want those on Main Street. That's expensive real estate. <laughs> it's a real estate. And within, I mean, six months of distilling, we were completely out of room at our downtown facility. So we invested in another facility that was you know, six times the size. It's more than 12,000 square feet. And we thought, wow, what are we going to do with all this extra space? Well, extra space won't last. <laughs> yeah. Once bitten, twice shy. And yeah, so we ran into the exact same problem where we were completely out of space and needed something much bigger and much more robust to grow effectively. So we purchased, we almost two years ago this week, we purchased the current facility that we're working on constructing as we speak, which is a 36,000 square foot building oh my. on 35 acres uh, just north of town. So we're now in the process of constructing the largest family-owned distillery north of Kentucky. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. I take it sales are good. 
Sales, yeah, sales are good. Okay. Sales are specifically of the cherry whiskey. I was just going to say, I've tasted, my cherry whiskey is almost empty already because- <laughs> She left just enough for today. I did, literally. Not only have I been tasting it, but I've been cooking with it. Mm. Chef Louise Leonard, who's the host of our pilot, does a segment where we bring her whiskeys. And if you listen to this show later, you'll hear what she made, but it was delicious and I've made it like three times and I'm almost out of whiskey. But anyway. <laughs> Very cool. Was it, a, was it an entree or was it a dessert? It's a dessert. Mm. Well, I mean, it's- it's cheesy and fruity and liquory and yummy. That's all I'm going to say. Add some salt. It's an entree. If you're interested, stick around and you hear all about it later in the show. Yeah. When we get to the tasting portion, I will be tasting these for the first time. Oh, great. Anyway. Good. Yeah. he. I don't have the patience that he does. <laughs> it's, it's Most of the whiskeys that we've gotten, I've already finished. I mean, half it's because I give part of it to the chef. Not Measured, <laughs> measured intake. So talk to us about the, the range of releases. You make whiskey. You grow cherries. Wait, so on this new piece of property, are you going to grow cherries there as well? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, ironically, it's a defunct cherry processing facility. Oh, wow. And facility on, on the 35 acres, uh, there's a slew of agriculture uh, grown, apples, cherries, and we're going to be replanting one of the, we're actually required, the township is requiring us to plant a minimum of seven acres of our own fruit. Huh. So we will certainly be wow. planting a cherry orchard. Okay. Now, are you going to be planting any grain, any corn, any barley, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. We the, the intention for the grain is actually barley at this point. So barley and cherries are what we have lined up for the property. Okay. So there's going to be, it sounds like there's going to be a grain to glass dimension. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the estate scenario, estate mm-hmm. grown or however you want to put it, but yeah, we'll the one thing that we've always exercised is just really having fun and, and having pet projects like this barley scenario where we grow it and then put it into a bottle. We've toyed with many ideas like this in the last eight plus years that have really grown legs and, and taken off. So it's, we, don't, we don't forget to have fun, that's for sure. What kind of water supply do you guys have over there at that property? We, so everything is off of a well. And because it because it was a fruit processing facility, our well is it hits the same water table as Lake Michigan, and our well can pump north of it's about 600 gallons of water per minute. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a lot of water. <laughs> yeah, it'll be adequate for one having a proprietary water source that's near and dear to Traverse City, but also supply as much as needed. Great. And do you know what kind of mineral content that water has? I don't yet. Okay. Yeah, we've we've studied the flow rate. We haven't. Uh, because of the the pandemic, we we had to put this whole project on the back burner for about six months. Right. And so you know, at this point, I'm a little rusty on these details, but yeah. So your range of releases, you produce a number of bourbons. There's also a rye in the mix. Yep. Can you can you talk about the uh, the portfolio, as it were? Yes. So the bourbon, the same 75% corn, 21% rye, 4% malted barley recipe is something that helped grow the bourbon lineup. Mm-hmm. First, starting with the four-year bourbon back in 2012. Is the mash bill fixed across release across bourbon releases? It, it, okay. Yes, it is at this point. Once we, so we, at the new facility, we're, uh, we're upgrading to a 24-inch Vendome column, mm-hmm. which will, our, you know, our production capacity will go way up at that point, which will allow us to kind of evolve our stock bourbon. Okay. Which, it, you know, is, for the last eight years has been the same recipe. That recipe is used to make the bourbon, 
the cherry whiskey, which is it's the same bourbon, but we rest Mount Morenzi sour cherries in it. Mm-hmm. We also make a port finished bourbon, mm-hmm. which is actually about to go end of life and be recreated as a part of a new series, mm-hmm. but port finished bourbon. So the bourbon rested in port wine barrels. We also make the barrel proof bourbon, which in 2019 uh, won a double gold best in category at the San Francisco International Spirits Competition. And this year took a... Congratulations. Yes, congratulations. And this year took... This year took a gold. Not nice. a not a gold. But either way, I mean, these it's it's amazing how these awards, you know, like the San Francisco Spirits Competition, it really helped put us on the map. Mm-hmm. Right. In a, in a very unforeseen way. But yeah, it's the barrel per bourbon is, is very tasty. Well, I have to say your graphics don't hurt. Your graphics are very to the point, but very, they really stand out. They are quite distinct, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's it's funny that we, we launched our bourbon back in 2012 in a different package. Mm-hmm. And one lesson that I always like to share with people that are maybe getting into the business or struggling with visibility is that the coding on our old label and our old package, um, we would struggle to find it on the shelf <laughs> at, at a, a retailer. And so we, we really invested the time and energy to to make sure that it now stands out a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it truly does. It truly does. When yeah. there are so many products in the marketplace, mm-hmm. so many whiskeys, so many gins, yes. et cetera, you know, taste is not enough. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the package sells it and the, the product quality brings the person back. Sure, sure. What about special releases and expressions yep. in development? What's going on there? Yep. So the, the one uh, expression that I didn't touch on is our apple whiskey, Ooh. which we take the same, uh, we take the same process that we make the cherry with the apples we we steep fresh fruit in the whiskey for x days based on based on the time of year Mm -hmm. and again same bourbon recipe but just with more uh fruit infusion Mm -hmm. traverse city is the cherry capital of the world but we also make incredible apples so are you going to be growing apples then on your land as well I think we're. I think we're going to start with cherries and see see how it goes. Because it's if the cherry planting goes well, we'll probably end up doubling down on it and okay. planting more. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the cherry whiskey right now is is the best selling craft spirit in the state of Michigan. Oh, wow! So it's. I can see why it's fantastic. Thank you. Speaking of cherries, you bottle some cocktail cherries, do you not? We jar or can a lot of cocktail cherries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are they're different cherries than the ones that go into the cherry whiskey. Okay. Uh, they're a different special variety that's pretty unique to Traverse City. But yeah, we make a lot of whiskey, but I think we currently make more cocktail cherries, more jars of cocktail cherries than we do bottles <laughs> oh, of whiskey. Oh, wow. And can we get these cherries in California? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're um, Amazon's choice. Oh, we great. sell them on the website, and we sell them in retail stores all around the state. That's wonderful. And what about the whiskeys? Can we get those all in California, too, or a couple of them, or any of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most most of the lineup that we just talked about, with the exception of the Apple, is available throughout the state of California. Nice. Okay. That that, that leads me to my next question, which is distribution. Where are you available around the country? Yeah. So we're, we're available on the coasts, including the Midwest coast. Okay. So Washington down to Arizona, to Texas, to Florida, up to New York, and then around the Midwest, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Okay. So all the major markets are, are covered. Exactly. Uh, just Friday, this past Friday, I was in a place called The Blind Pig in Rancho Santa Margarita, Orange County. And uh, they had a, they had a full stock of your whiskeys. And I, I, uh, I commented on it. Nice. Yeah, good. What, what did they say? Um, they said wonderful stuff. So, yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. They're impressed. <laughs> you also make a rye, your North Coast rye. Yes. Yep. It's um, The North Coast rye is a blend of two recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
one our hundred percent rye, which is has a has a more buttery finish, and then a ninety five percent rye, five percent malted barley, which has a bit of spice. Okay. So the two the two recipes marry very well together to give kind of what we we view as the best of both worlds from a rye. Okay. And so you blend those two products to make the end product that's available in the market. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yep. It's a 50-50 blend of the two, and that, that creates the North Coast rye. Okay. All right. Very good. And then the cherries that you guys jar, how are those different yep. than the industry standard maraschino cherries? Yeah. So... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dive too far into what makes a maraschino cherry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not pleasant. It ain't, it ain't pretty. <laughs> well, now we have to distinguish. We have to distinguish right. between those bland, mushy, dyed red cherries, which is what most of us grew up with, and uh, the stuff that places like Cluxardo puts out, which are maraschino cherries, but properly done. Right. Yes, hundred percent. So where I guess the regular maraschino cherries that are that are dyed and everything like that, those are the stock Montmorency. I think they're probably Montmorency cherries. Okay. Which is what we use in whiskey, but they they are a little bit more mushy. Uh, they don't have a high quality natural taste, and the bite is is also mushy because of the texture. Mm. So the, the fruit that we use is a it's a variety that's was birthed in Hungary wow. back in the 1800s and then made its way to Michigan State and then up to northern Michigan. It's it's called a Balaton sour cherry. Okay. What makes this fruit special is that it has a it carries a very elegant bite all the way through the canning process. Hmm. So most cherries will they, they get they end up getting mushy with the heat in the canning process. Mm-hmm. Whereas these hold a more rigid shell. Okay. And so they're, they're larger. Cherries are always measured in millimeters, whether they're 16, 18s, 1820s, or 2022s. And these are the largest, the 2022s available. Shall we move into tasting, Carrie? I would love to. Okay. Are you going to be tasting with us today, Chris? I will. Awesome. Yep. So you, you guys will have to guide me through what, what you're sipping on. Well, we generally ask you which order you think we should taste them. And what we have before us is the straight bourbon, the barrel-proof straight bourbon, and the cherry edition, the American cherry edition. Yeah, so layout that you just described is exactly how I would step through the tasting. Okay. Bourbon to barrel for bourbon to cherry whiskey. I am nosing the straight bourbon, the standard issue, and there is a lot of fruit on this nose. That smells delicious. Yeah, so the, the recipe for all three expressions is the same. The difference, the only difference in that lineup is the age of the barrel proof is a couple years older. And what's the uh, what's the mash bill? The the mash bill of all three whiskeys is seventy five percent corn, twenty one percent rye, and then four percent malted barley. I definitely taste the corn in that. Like I said, there's a there's a lot of fruit on the nose. I think it carries through on the palate. There's almost a sort of a wine sap quality um, to the mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Very soft feeling. You taste what I'm tasting? I do. A very spicy finish, I think. I think spicy, but I don't think nope. like extremely. That's a nice, mm-hmm. I think it's a nice kick. Not like Tabasco, yes. <laughs> no, yes. Are these tasting notes to jibe with, with yours, Chris? Uh, absolutely. I'm getting I'm getting a lot of good fruit in the nose, and one thing that I think makes this bourbon special and unique at at such a low proof at 86 proof mm-hmm. is that it does carry a, a pretty long finish, yes. which I personally enjoy a lot. I'm still feeling it. It is that kind of that lightly spicy finish that just kind of marinates. Mm-hmm. All right, 
I'm going to open the second one. <laughs> I love the way that sounds. Foley artist in the house. Yep. I was thinking about changing the noise for the text message on my iPhone to that cork popping sound. Uh, oh, I may have to do that now. Do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> this one is definitely uh, more robust on the nose. Yes. The nose and flavor, I think, is is quite a bit more dynamic than the lower proof version. Right. Although I still do get a little fruit there, mm. but it, it kind of hits hits my nose a little harder. On the palate, I'm getting that same fruit punch, but even a, even even more condensed. Not fruit punch, but you know what I say, a punch of fruit. I was going to say, I don't taste yes. fruit punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's got a nice bite. Yeah. How did you arrive at this? Um, you know, I mean, each, each barrel proof is going to be a bit different. Are these your honey barrels yep. that you're pulling from? The blend of our barrel proof bourbon, bar- oh, barrel proof bourbon and barrel proof rye barrels are are usually it's a balance of of texture and flavor and just an aroma. We don't want to go all in on either one of these categories. We we try to find we try to create a, a diverse okay. bourbon or a diverse whiskey, um, so that so you'll kind of get you know from a sensory standpoint you'll get hit in each direction. Uh-huh. Well, it's very good. Yes. And there's in both of them, I think there's a bit more spice than one typically expects. Yes. So on that note, it's time <laughs> for the cherry. And there's the last bit of my cherry. Uh, and I'm I'm about to sip my first bit. Oh, and it smells like cherries. Uh, yes. On the nose, Chris, I, I'm getting cherry. Yeah. Definitely cherry on the nose. Yeah. It smells like, it kind of smells like a Shirley Temple. <laughs> it's a bit deceiving, the cherry on the nose, it, in, in my opinion, because you, you get such a punch of cherry, which the whiskey start, I mean, within a day or two of the infusion process, that flavor and color carry over almost immediately. But one thing that, it, it's interesting that the, the taste, I find, the taste, uh, it's, it's just not nearly as intense as the nose. I agree. Mm-hmm. Which is which is yeah, good because we don't want to be drinking grenadine. Exactly. This is my favorite flavored whiskey of all time. And it's probably because it's natural flavors and good cherries. <laughs> and because you made it. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you talk it. to us about the flavoring family? It says cherries and natural flavor. But, but can you talk to us about the process? Uh, we all know how whiskey is made. But yeah. talk to us about how the whiskey is made, and then it becomes this. Yeah, how do you add the cherry? So we actually just finished hosting our first virtual event here at the distillery, and it was called the Cherry Whiskey Fest. Typically every year, Traverse City hosts the National Cherry Festival, which is very cherry-centric, and this year it got canceled. It's a big deal for our town. Oh, I'm sure. We wanted to, again, have some fun and and kind of celebrate just being you know enthusiasts together, and we released our barrel-proof cherry whiskey last Wednesday. Okay. And as part of that event, we actually recorded the process. We recorded this cherry infusion process to to share with the world how we do what we do. Awesome. Any chance you'd want to send us a clip of the visual to put up with this? Absolutely. Great. Yeah. So we t- typically for any batch of the cherry whiskey, we blend together eight, eight bourbon barrels and dilute the whiskey down to just about 70 proof. And then we using, it's like a cheesecloth bag. We take the fresh Montmorency sour cherries. We usually do about 10 pounds for every two barrels. So 
typically there's about 40 pounds of fruit in the whiskey. The, the fruit steeps in the whiskey. And then after a few days, as soon as our distil- our other distiller deems it ready, then we bottle it. Okay. That's fantastic. All right. Now, yeah. now you say there's a, a barrel, there's now a barrel proof cherry whiskey. Um, what is the barrel proof yep. proof? The barrel proof proof this year came in at 110.2. Okay. Yep. Now that one would flame up pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it, it, it's going to be an annual release. We released it now to celebrate the end of cherry harvest, which ended about a week ago. It, it is a, it is a distillery release. I keep hinting at what this is going to be when Chef Louise comes on, but oh, it's so good. I've made it, I think, three times now. <sighs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so the Barrel Proof Cherry, and I, I don't have to go into too much detail here, but it was our first release that is that we plan as an annual release. And that release will happen right around the end of cherry harvest. And this year, we, we blended four barrels together, which yielded 864 bottles at Barrel Proof. And yeah, the, the end product was was fantastic. You know, we we've always joked around about barrel proof cherry whiskey because it it's sound it's kind of an oxymoron. You know, you don't you don't find barrel proof spirits at such a with any infusion. Right. That's not a thing. And we are indeed it this year and we're very pleasantly surprised. So we built a an event around it. That's so fun. Yeah. yeah. I I I'd, yeah. I'd like to attend one of those. It's, it sounds like yes. great fun. Let's talk about cocktails. So, Chris, we find that uh, because because nothing empties whiskey bottles like cocktails empty whiskey bottles, we yeah. talk to all of our distillers about cocktails. Um, tell us about what are your go-tos? Do you have a favorite category, stirred, shaken, uh, built? And then also, what do you recommend for your cherry whiskey? Because that, well, I have a recommendation for that as well. Of course. So are we looking, for, are you guys asking about my personal yeah, preference? I want to hear about or... you. First, we want and to then hear about after you. That, right. then after that, you can tell us about what you would do with your whiskeys. Yeah. Okay. So my, my go-to cocktails. It's I, a margarita. I, we knew I, it. I, <laughs> <laughs> actually, the, the whiskey margarita at the distillery is okay. pretty great. Do, wait, you have a whiskey I, margarita I, at the distillery? When oh, life okay. gives you limes, Absolutely. make a whiskey margarita. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Make I would love margarita. to hear about what's in that too. Okay. Continue. I'm sorry. Yep. So my, my go-to when I travel and I'm, you know, if I'm out at somebody else's cocktail bar and you know, not to be judgy, but I, you always, you always want to know how your, maybe something that you would build compares to what somebody else mm-hmm. builds. And my go-to is always the classics, mm-hmm. usually a Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Great choice. Yeah, or or a perfect Manhattan if there's you know if, if the bartender encourages it. This is you go either way on the bourbon or the rye. Yeah, it, it, our rye is a little bit higher mm-hmm. proof than our bourbon, so so I'll typically do. Yeah, it runs ninety, correct? Correct. Yep. I'll, I'll usually blend the two together, oh, okay. the, the bourbon and the rye, okay. to, to make that perfect. Manhattan. And you call it a perfect perfect Manhattan. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect twice. Perfect perfect Manhattan. Twice twice. Yep. Perfect. Yep. And the, just the classic two on two recipe. I've always found that to be a a very uh, suitable choice. And if if I'm feeling fancy at another cocktail bar, I may order something as creative as, say, like a Mm -hmm. Vucare. And there, you know, there's just so so much that goes into building that cocktail that it's it's not something that we do in house. So you know, given the opportunity, usually we'll give it a whirl. Um, At the distillery. It's it's funny that we're talking about cocktails right now because we actually did some 
we did some research this morning. Um, while we were on air, uh, my co-host and our distillery manager, Shelly, mentioned to the audience that over her the course of her career at Traverse City Whiskey, and she's been with us for five years, she, she just did some quick math and, and figured that she had uh, made about 20,000 whiskey sours. Oh, my goodness. Specifically, cherry whiskey sours. Ooh. And... And I, I checked, I checked the, the fact there, and uh, we've actually, um, well, our, our bar staff has we've actually made over 30,000 fresh-squeezed cherry whiskey sours in the past five That's years. a wow. lot. That's a lot of cracked eggs. <laughs> All fresh-squeezed citrus. And you have a chicken laying the eggs in the back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we have a fleet of chickens out there. <laughs> But yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of our, that's our house favorite, but right, right behind that in terms of volume, we make a, we make a ton of old fashions okay. with the cherry and with the bourbon. Yeah, no, no muddling required. No <laughs> muddling required. Yep. My favorite cocktail is usually, and it depends on what whiskey they have available, but usually I will do a rye perfect Manhattan, but when I make them myself at home, I substitute the Angostura bitters with a Vice Cherries bitter, and then I use Luxardo cherry garnish instead of an orange peel. Mm. So when yeah. I got your whiskeys, I took the cherry bourbon and made one, and it was delicious. So now that I know that you guys have cherries that I can go buy, I'm going to go get the bear. The also, I need a new bottle of the cherry whiskey because I just finished it. <laughs> So I'm going to go get that go, go for and the your cherries this time. Yeah. Of course. Um, and then I'm going to make that because this, this is by far my favorite perfect Manhattan was with the cherry uh, because then I didn't have to add extra cherry because sometimes I add some of the cherry juice that's in the Luxardo bottle just to make it a little bit more cherry, but yeah. I didn't need to do that with this. And it was a great taste. Good. Great. Chris, thank you so very much. Yeah. This has been a delight. It was a pleasure to join you this afternoon. I appreciate the invitation and the, uh, the the opportunity to chat through the lineup. Cool. Well, Chris, this was wonderful. And then when all of this is over, we really, really hope that we can uh, take our TV show to your place because um, I think you and, and Chef Louise will have a great time uh, coming up with some wonderful recipes. And we'd love to see you in person here in Los Angeles. That too. Next time I'm in town, I'll definitely stop by to say hi. Awesome. We would love to see you. Well, thanks again for being on the show, and we will catch up with you not too far in the future. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. The Center for Culinary Culture, home to the Cocktail Collection and L.A. Food and Drink Museum, has a YouTube channel that offers a diverse and growing slate of food and drink series. Featuring a mix of how-to, lively talk, and culinary entertainment. Already streaming are culinary quickies, Le Cocktail Du Jour, V is for Vino, and this podcast, Spirits of Whiskey. Upcoming shows include Cocktails, The Grand Tour, a new series starring Jonathan Pogash, a.k.a. The Cocktail Guru, the award-winning Music and Booze with Mo, featuring Mo Herms and his series of musically spirited cocktailians. And an all-new wine podcast, hosted by Silver Pin Certified Sommelier Stacy Hunt. We're streaming culinary culture, so please visit YouTube, search for the Center for Culinary Culture, and subscribe now. The Center for Culinary Culture, telling the story of food and drink 
one taste at a time. It's time now for this edition of World of Wheezy. Today we have a special treat because Chef Louise Leonard is in studio. Louise, what do you think of the Traverse City whiskeys and cherries? Well, this cherry whiskey was super interesting to me. And I will say, I need to preface this, I don't really love cherries in, say, alcohol form or in candy form or in flavor form. I like to eat a plain cherry. But generally speaking, if something is like cherry infused, I I normally don't go for it. However, being that I am a girl from the Midwest, I am very well aware of these sour cherries from Michigan. And I was in intrigued, so I had to try it. I have to say, I thought it was going to taste like cough syrup. It did not. It was it was super duper fresh cherry fruit forward, for sure. And then it had me thinking, of course, how am I going to use this? I definitely knew right away that I wanted to use it in a dish, and I, I was hemming and hawing over this, thinking like, I know it would. you could make some sort of really great cherry compote using, using this whiskey to say go with venison, a venison roast with that would be amazing. And then I really, what dawned on me is how about a farmer's cheese blintz with oh my gosh, flambéed cherries? Ugh, I haven't had like a really good, you know, actually I haven't had a really good blintz since I was in France. And that's been a long time. Yeah, blintzes are like one of those things. I feel like unless you're either in like a Jewish deli or you're in the Midwest or you're in Europe, you just don't see them around very often. I love them. I love them with... I like them simple. I like them with just a very, very fresh cow's milk farmer's cheese inside, the delicate crepe around it, and Mm. then... I would flambe some, maybe a mix of cherries. I mean, you can mix sour cherries with another type of cherry, a Bing cherry, for example. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with a little bit of sugar or honey and flambe it with this beautiful whiskey. I think you would have yourself an excellent brunch dish. I mean, I don't even think about this as a dessert. To me, this is morning. This is brunch. (laughs) So not only would it be tasty, but it'd be fun to make with the full flambe and like, just be careful you don't light the kitchen on fire. Yeah. Like if I went to a restaurant and they were serving this to me table side at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, I mean, I would be thoroughly impressed. That, yeah, that sounds amazing. That sounds... In my imaginary bar that I always like to tell my friends about, I would serve this for brunch. Well, I am, I do have some cherries right now and I think I'm going to go to the the store and get some, uh, some crepe stuff. Um, I actually, at my last job, they were, they were giving away one of the shows that they were doing was a cooking show and they had this crepe like maker with the little swirly and they gave me one and then when I left the job I totally forgot it under my desk and I was like so mad because I was like I wanted to make my own crepes and watch the little thing and you swirl it and you yeah well while a perfect crepe pan with the little wooden swirly thing is quite cute you know you could just do them in a nonstick skillet which I probably will because I would <laughs> probably mess it up with the, I'd probably like scrape it off onto the counter with the little wood swirly thing they're really they're they're forgiving and especially if you're going to fill them and and roll them and then cover them with flambéed cherries. I mean, who cares if they break? And also, if this is your maiden voyage making them, I mean, I no think, one will see. I think this would be the second thing I put on fire. I think the only other thing I've done is a flaming Dr. Pepper, and that's, you know, not food. So... I don't even know what that is. It's uh it's a it's a it's a cocktail. This sounds like this sounds like 
something that sets frat houses on fire. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I'm going to definitely go to the store and get some other stuff and do something with my cherries because that sounds like now I'm totally craving it. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for bringing that to us today, Louise. And it was good to have you in studio. And we will talk to you next week with our next guest. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Please visit our website to see our show notes on today's podcast at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We'll include links and supporting documents from today's Whiskey Chronicles, as well as tasting notes and recommendations from today's World of Wheezy. As always, you can see our upcoming topics and guest roster and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Salon. Spirits of Whiskey is a production of First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available on Anchor, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.